Steph Last goes epic off. to help the Warriors even up the finals. Draymond Green's struggles continue, and LeBron wants to own an NBA team. In Vegas? <laughs> I'm Sammy Neighbor filling in for Rosa Ponta. This is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. I have my other two hooligans with me. JJ, how you doing, my man? Feeling good, feeling great. How are you guys? I am good, my man. John, how are you? I'm great. The Warriors won. Doing great. Again, this is not necessarily the Warriors World podcast, but for the last few weeks, it might as well have been. So let's get into it. The Warriors beat Boston in the Garden tonight, 107-97. Steph went nuclear, going for 40 points and practically carrying the team on his back. Actually ended up with 43, excuse me. On, uh, on the other side for Boston, balanced performance but couldn't hit some shots in the end. Tatum went off for 23. Jalen Brown went for 21. So let's start off with this game. We'll talk, we'll talk about the first half. So the Warriors went in and they started with a small ball lineup. They actually brought in Looney off the bench. That lineup got outscored 12-6 in the first four minutes and 37 seconds. And then from there, we saw some struggles from Draymond in the first half and Steph basically carrying the team. So JJ, I want to start off with you. Mm-hmm. First half goes. First half goes, and it pretty much is the Stephen Curry show. What are your thoughts about the small ball lineup, and what did you think going into the half? Well, Curry needed help. I think that what that was the issue that Clay wasn't delivering the, but he did deliver the last game, even though he shot poorly. Draymond is yet to be seen. He's talking all that smack, and I'm sure John's gonna go in depth later. And Poole hasn't oh, been getting yeah, his will. shots. He's missing when he drives to the rack. He's getting blocked by Williams. So with the small ball lineup, because we've been we've been getting killed off the boards, I did not like it at all. Um, I was shaking my head at Coach Kerr the whole game. I wanted more Kaminga, but you cannot argue with the results. So I just gotta shut up and give props to Stephen Curry, who was feeling it tonight. All right, all right. John on the on the Boston side. So Tatum opened with a hot hand. And for me, I noticed that Robert Williams was going off in that first half in particular. Anything that you see from Boston in the first half that they just didn't carry over well into the second half of this game? Well, I think they were turning the ball over a lot more in the second half. And credit to the Warriors' defense. They, they tightened up, especially in that fourth quarter. I do think that they took a lot of ill-advised shots, bad shots, rush shots. Um, and it's something that they, I'm sure Udoka's going to take a look at in the film room and try to fix that. But I think the Celtics really definitely kind of beat themselves. But the Warriors, I mean, to the, credit, to the Warriors' credit, I mean... Chef Curry was in his bag. 43 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, 7 three-pointers. He's the only player with Jerry West and Magic Johnson to record a 40-point, 10-rebound game, which is crazy that he got 10 rebounds because he's a point guard and he's like 6'2". So, I mean, the Warriors won because of Steph. Let's not sugarcoat it. He carried the team. He carried the team. that's what legendary stars and icons do. And credit to him, man. He is putting that team on his back. Man, I agree for sure. And other things that I noticed, just to go along with the observations both of you guys had, the first half to me felt like what we've seen in this series going to four games now from my perspective, which is the Warriors clearly have the best player in the series, right? 
But from a balance perspective, I feel like Boston has had the better team so far. And what illustrated that is if you look at the first half, the Warriors had 49 points. You take out Curry, Poole, and Wiggins, they had 40 between the three of them. The rest of the team had nine. At that point, Clay had five points. And I believe Draymond had yet to score. And a couple other guys had a bucket each. And then you look on the Celtics side, usually it's been Jalen Brown opening up these games hot. He had 17 in the first quarter of game three. This game, Tatum hit two or three threes in the first quarter. Robert Williams, like we talked about, was an absolute monster in yeah. the first quarter and a half or so. And then Jalen started coming out in the second quarter, and even Derek White had 10 by the half. So when I was looking at the first half, I know that it was a five-point game. I really didn't feel like it was going well for Golden State at that point when, when we were where we were because of how it was going. And then when the second half opened up, I think Clay quietly actually ended up being pretty clutch in the second half of this game. He was 2 of 7 at the half, went 5 for 10, and in the third in particular, hit a couple big shots, ended up with 18 points himself. And underrated in this game, and he's not going to be talked about enough, Andrew Wiggins was great in this game. 17 points, 16 rebounds, but the magic was all Steph, like you guys are saying. So The defense came through too. Boston was up six at the seven minute mark. Right. And honestly, as a Warrior fan, I was really worried. Mm-hmm. The fourth quarter have has the Celtics basically have owned the fourth quarters right. for the past few games. And credit to the Warrior defense, they finally came through. And we need to mention this, fellas. Steve Kerr, we know we call him stubborn. He had the testicular courage to fortitude. sit fortitude to sit Draymond. yes and that's yes. actually you brought me into uh, the next question i was going to ask you both the defensive adjustments were big in this game what did you see anything in particular or did you feel like it was an effort issue more than anything what was the big adjustment defensively in the second half it just looked like they were playing harder okay and communicating more I don't think there was a scheme that they changed mostly. I didn't see them switch to zone a lot or if at all in the second half. So I think they just made a concerted effort to play defense as a team, cover each other and, you know, communicate, which good defensive, great defensive teams do. Okay. Yeah. Hey, um, Jay? The, the issue with the Warriors when guarding the Celtics is the Celtics are masters at penetrating to the basket and kicking out. The difference with this game was when they did penetrate towards the rim and they passed out, the Warriors made more of a conscious effort to close out better. And in the first half, I'm not gonna lie, Draymond Green played really bad in on defense. Like, yes. just left his man open on three. He looked low energy. I don't know if that's because it's due to age or if the crowd played a part of it. But, you know, I know John stated this in our text thread, which is if you're going to talk smack, and I'm a huge Draymond Green fan, like that's my spirit animal. But if you're going to talk smack, you got to back it up. You got to back it up. And the only way to back it up is shut the fans up. So I'm not going to talk smack about Boston fans because they could talk whatever they want to talk. But... Draymond Green has to shut them up. Is that fair, John? Oh, it's fair. And uh, I can go a lot of steps further if you want me to. But I I think I will. Go. Because 
I, I want to pose some questions about Draymond Green. And they've kind of occurred to me more recently than, than they have in the past. And I think I know why. So, first things first, Draymond played terribly. And he hasn't, if we're being honest, he hasn't been playing well this entire postseason. Granted, he's 32 years old. And maybe he's distracted with his podcast. But like JJ <laughs> said, he's not playing great defense, which is he's been known for his entire career. He's not communicating, it seems like. He's obviously an offensive liability. The Celtics literally don't have to defend five guys on the court when he's on there. because, And he also telegraphs what he's going to do. He sets a screen and then he hands off the ball. It's easy to defend. Sometimes he'll fake that and go to the basket, but he seldom does that. Now, and I think we all agree with that. My question, my overarching question, my big picture question is this. Have we been... and? I'm talking about us collectively and reporters and the overall public. Have we been overrating Draymond Green from the beginning? And the reason, and the reason I, I asked that question is because, yes, he's won Defensive Player of the Year. Yes, he's been all def NBA defensive. Yes, I know that he has a great winning percentage <clears throat> over his career. But he has played with two of the greatest shooters this game has ever seen. And for two of those championships, he's played with one of the greatest scorers this game has ever seen. And don't get me wrong, Draymond Green is a great role player. And you need role players in this league to win championships. Think BJ, uh, BJ Armstrong, John Paxton, Steve Kerr, Robert Ory, Derek Fisher, Rick Fox. And so my question to you guys, I wish Roe was here because he's a Warrior fan and I want him to get mad at me, but have we been overrating Draymond Green from the beginning? And is he really a Hall of Famer because I think you really not just be based on how he's been playing recently but I think we really need to start questioning that and maybe that's just my thoughts but I would love to get your guys thoughts tell me if I'm speaking blasphemy right now or if I do have some sort of case here so can I take this first Jay as the yeah, I, I would the, love the to hear what you have to say so I think Draymond is one of those cases and I mean this in a positive way let me preface this of a player who has a very specific skill set fitting in the absolute perfect situation where if you put him in almost any other team in the league, he wouldn't be nearly the player he is. But he's got such a unique skill set that he amplifies the talents of the guys around him. Now, the thing for me and the elephant in the room that obviously is no longer an elephant in the room because we're discussing it, is that he is so gun shy about shooting the ball now. And in this game, what I noticed is I feel like his confidence is shaken. And I know it's a weird thing to say about him, but mm -hmm. there were a couple times where he had the ball and there was no one within 10 feet where at least in the years past or even in earlier rounds, he would at least occasionally take the shot to at least put out the threat of him taking the shot out there. And in this game, I feel like every time the ball was thrown to him and he was alone, he his eyes would go nowhere near the rim. He was looking immediately to pass it off no matter what the situation was. And I believe in the second half, I think he only took one shot in this game. Uh, if I saw it right, because I think he was one for six at half. But uh, that being said, from an overall perspective, John, of what you're saying, if you look at Draymond's stat lines, about four years ago, he stopped scoring in double digits. I think going back that far, he was at least shooting over 30% from three from the three-point line, which isn't amazing, but it's good enough to be a threat. At his peak, there were a couple of there was one year where he shot 39%. So I think the peak version of Draymond is a Hall of Fame player, and I do think he should be a Hall of Fame player when he finishes, but 
the offensive tumble specifically as a scorer has been so dramatic that it's going to force and already has forced adjustments that Steve Kerr has not had to make in the past. So to me, that is the X factor of part of the rest of the series is what do they do with him offensively? Because it's so much harder to be a creator when no one respects your ability to score the ball. JJ, what do you think? Yeah, uh, there, there's truth to what both of you are saying. You know, to answer your question first, John, Draymond Green is a Hall of Famer. His stats do not reflect that, but you could just tell from the energy and his influence on the court. The Warriors, when they are competing for a championship, have always ranked top two or three in the league. That's a consistent. And when Draymond Green is not on the floor, that is an evident number of their defensive efficiency. But to also agree with you, John, he needs to play better. The past few series, he's had he's played very terrible, even on the defensive end. And what the Warriors are counting on, if I'm going to speak on what Sam was just saying, is the way that he makes it up on offense is that he's the quarterback of the system. So he's able to take the ball, pass off, or look for the open lanes for the open man. The issue is that with the Celtics, they're long, they're athletic, and they could get into the passing lanes and they have a shot blocker in the middle of the key. So what does that leave Draymond to do? It's gonna have to force Steve uh, Kerr to make some adjustments. And we all know what we say about Steve Kerr and his adjustments. Sometimes he's really stubborn. Yeah, I, I, you know, it, for me, this is a tough, and the reason why I pose this question is because I just think it would, it would spur a lot of great conversation and debate. And I think it has. Yeah. For me, the way I look at it, and and based on how the Hall of Fame, the requirements are, and how people are let in, I agree with you. I think based on that, he should be in the Hall of Fame. If I had it my way, the Hall of Fame would be reserved for legendary players. Guys like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Steph Curry. And I think you would keep it into that, you know, those type of players. So, But that's not how it is, right? We have a lot of Hall of Fame players that performed way less than that. And, and mm-hmm. I guess my barometer for it is that Draymond is a great player. And I'm not saying he isn't. And he was an integral part of those championships. But in my eyes, I feel like you could take someone else who has the heart and the spirit and the intensity of Draymond, put him into that role. And I feel like the Warriors could still win those championships. You can't take Steph Curry out, replace him with, try to replace him with somebody and expect to win championships. You can't take Kobe Bryant out or Shaq out or Duncan out and win championships. So to me, that's more like the def- definition of a Hall of Fame player. So I, while I respect your guys' decision, I would disagree based on my own thoughts of what constitutes a Hall of Fame player. But based on how it's currently set up, yeah, he's going to, in my eyes, I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame based on how they determine it. I, I, I agree with the fact, I do think we're all in conclusion he'll be in the Hall of Fame. I get what you're saying. I think the... It's been kind of set, like the the standard is there where it's not nearly as high as what you're saying. So I, I understand where you're coming from, though, that if we could reevaluate it, it would look a lot closer to maybe the NFL Hall of Fame, because I think that's a lot harder to get into. Right. Um, now, all this being said, I do want to give respect to to at least what Draymond did in the second half. He adjusted a bit. It still wasn't a great game, but at least he did what we talked about as kind of Draymond things. He did finish with nine rebounds, eight assists, four steals. 
played much better in the second half than he did in the first. I, I thought, personally. That was my assessment. Now, right. in terms of the adjustments, uh, what I did notice is that Looney played a lot more in the second half. And where I saw that adjustment is in a couple things. Robert Williams had 10 rebounds at, at half. He finished with 12. And Looney finished with 11. In addition to that, Looney actually had the highest plus minus on the Warriors tonight at plus 21. He was huge in this game. Huge. And so what we ended up seeing with them is if you look at the minute breakdown, Draymond ended up at 33 minutes. Wiggins, Curry, and Thompson all played over 40. And then Looney played 28. So I wonder if the rest of this series, what we're going to see is an almost even split of minutes between Draymond and Looney as essentially as the five going forward in this series, because it doesn't seem like they can play them both at once. A constant of Wiggins, Curry, and Thompson, and then the rotation on that other spot being a mix of Peyton, Poole, and Otto Porter. It seems like that's the way they went. Yeah, dude. And you nailed it about Looney. I mean, plus 21. And shout out to Looney, because maybe I'm not, I didn't know this because I'm not a Warrior fan. I'm not an avid Warrior fan. I don't watch all the games. But I had no idea he was 26 years old. I thought he was like 47. He plays like he's way older than 26. That's a great match. I mean, he moves like a much older. I mean, he is big. He's kind of, you know, he's kind of like, I don't want to say an ogre, but he's kind of, he's not very charismatic when he's walking. He's not a mobile guy. He's he's a stationary guy. Exactly. But but he, dude, he hustles. He has heart. He makes those those key plays that kind of change momentum. And he he gets offensive rebounds. But dude, he's a huge part of that team. And I think Kerr needs to play him a lot more. Yes. Yeah, I think Definitely. he played at least 30 minutes a game, give or take, the rest of the the rest of the series. He has to. He's the only answer that they have to Robert Williams. 16 yeah, boards exactly. against the Grizzlies, who was who were the best rebounding team in the league. Right. Yeah, that's no you slouch. Know? No slouch. And Draymond was consistently getting out-rebounded by Robert Williams. I mean, yeah. over and over. So it's a necessity. And so I'm curious to see how Kerr picks his spots between those two guys. If he does try to play them together in very small spurts, but... Do you guys agree with me? Do you think you, they can't really play together for the bulk of the rest of the series just to, based on the matchup, or do you think they can be out there at the same time? Looney and Green? Yes. I think um, if Looney and Green are out there at the same time, you have to have three scorers. Steph, Clay, and probably Peter Poole or Wiggins. Yeah. Right? It has to be. It has to be. Yeah, that's okay. a lot of that's a lot of offensive deficiencies. Yeah, um, that's that's my concern of your, with it too. Two-thirds of your, of your guys. Right. Yeah, what, what are your... Th- let me ask you two your thoughts for the next game. So funny you bring that question up because to me, like I was saying earlier, this feels right now like best player versus best team. And I do not think the formula that worked tonight can work in now what is a best of three. And what I mean by that is the def- the defense, yes. Offensively, I think you need just a little bit more support across the game. What I saw from the Warriors tonight that was concerning to me is just there's these peaks and valleys for anyone not named Steph, is what I felt like I saw. Where Clay, for example, would hit two, three shots in a row, and then we wouldn't hear from him pretty much for like most of the first half. Poole has the same uh, tendencies. I just, I think they need someone to be a solid secondary scorer throughout the game so that whatever it is, five, six, seven minutes that steps out, or just if he's being triple teamed, they feel like there's a more more reliable option. Because it feels like there's a very clear tier one is Steph, tier two is Tatum and Brown. 
And then tier three is a bunch of players. And unfortunately, because of Clay's injury history and the fact that he's just come back this year, normally he would be in that second tier, I feel like, with Tatum and Brown, but he's just not there right now. So that's the question I wonder for the rest of the series. About yeah, how Steph, Steph needs help. I mean, for all the reasons that Sammy stated, Celtics are just too good unit as a unit defensively. And what's to say that they won't start giving Steph double teams, triple teams, like different looks? And the Warriors role players need to step up, particularly Wiggins, who did play well tonight, but he needs to be more, he needs to be con- continue to do so and be consistent. And then there's Clay, right? Clay is, in order for the, for the Warriors to win the series, in my eyes, Clay needs to be Clay for two more games. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs to put up at least, in my book, 22 to 25 points on good efficiency, not making bad shot decisions, not taking bad shots. And playing solid defense. Obviously, he's not the defender he once was, given his, his two major injuries. But if he can do that, I think the Warriors have a good chance to take this series. But that's a big if, man. Clay is, you know, he's he's shown flashes, but overall, he's not playing particularly well. And you know, it's understandable. So, the Warriors, yeah, the Warriors have won twenty-seven straight series, winning on the road. They have the they've had the experience and now they have home court advantage. But Boston has is the better all overall team as both of you stated. So you're going with best player, which we've seen been successful, or best overall team. I mean Curry needs to play forty plus easily well, he play, 40, he, three five minutes a he, game. He's playing minimum forty one the game the next three. That's yeah, a lot. He has Two to. or three games. He has to He has to. He has to. I mean yeah. it's the off it's the finals. He could rest in the offseason. You know, it's just like, Curry, you can't be resting him for these long stretches, dude. It's not... Right. It's, and he only did sit way. for seven minutes tonight. We'll say that. And on the other side, you know what's not being talked about a lot, too? Is I And we've all said this. I, I think overall Boston's talent is probably more well-rounded. Boston basically went to six men tonight. I mean, Grant Williams played 13 minutes. Pritchard played 10. Outside of that, it was the starting five and Derek White. No one else played. So they're running it really short too. And that actually led me into the next question then for both of you. We, so from the Celtics end now, if you're them defensively, what do you do the next two or three games of this series? How do you defend Steph? Do you let him go off, try to shut down everybody else? Do you do everything in your power? Do you throw three guys at him and try to challenge someone else to beat you? What's, what's the move for Boston here, especially now that they have to win in the Bay again? Better run box one and or just double team Curry the whole time. I, I don't know. Like double teaming Curry and making him a distributor sounds just because he's been dominating the series offensively sounds like a good idea, but I don't know if it is. I don't know if I'm the Celtics, I don't know if I change much, to be honest with you. Because yeah. overall, I feel like if I'm a Celtics fan and I'm not. And I state that <laughs> with epically, with, <laughs> I, epically, and with every fiber of my being. But I'll, I'll play the game. Is that I don't know if I change much because I feel like we've controlled most of the series um, and been the better team. So I don't know if it's the right time to make a, ser- a crazy adjustment and start double teaming, trapping Steph all the time. Maybe you throw it in there, give him different looks here and there. But I wouldn't change anything overall. I mean, the Celtics have been playing really good defense. So I'll throw out, unless you guys have anything else to add, I'm going to throw out one last question about the last two to three games of the series. Outside of 
the main players that we've talked about. So let's say Steph, Brown, Tatum, Clay. If there's an unexpected hero for each team in this series that causes them to win it, who is it? JJ, I'll start with you. Looney. And for Boston, if I know you don't want to talk about it, no, but if uh, I'll, I'll give Boston props, I'm gonna say Robert Williams. If he's on the floor more than 20 minutes, they're gonna win. John, effective 20 minutes. Sorry. No, so agreed. X factors, right? X factors for each team if they win the series. Who's the X okay. factor? X factor for the Warriors. I'm gonna go Wiggins. Ooh. X factor for the Celtics. Draymond Green. He needs to stop <laughs> playing for them. Okay. Nice. I had to throw that in there as a little joke. Uh, Celtics. Wow, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to say Derek White. I'm going to say Derek White. Derek White? Yeah. He was. He's factor. He had some big shots tonight. Finished with 16. Yeah. Um, he was one of the guys I was thinking of. For the Warriors, I'm going to go with someone who has been much maligned here in the first few games on the clinic. I think Jordan Poole steals a game for them in the bay if they win the series five six minute stretch where he just goes on an offensive burst either with steph out or just providing supplementary scoring i like i do like what kerr's done with him cut his minutes back but get some shots when he's out there tonight 21 minutes but he got 13 shots hit about 46 percent score 14 i think that's the good balance for him against this team so i like what he did there for boston i would have said you guys both had good choices um if there's going to be another guy as an X factor here, going to have to go with Marcus Smart. I think if they can use him as just a rotating defender, whether they choose to go with the strategy of trying to put him back on Steph and using him to help with double, or maybe they put him on the second best player on the court, they double Steph and try to rely on him one-on-one. I think Smart can do enough things for them that if they do win the series, he's going to have a hand in it, but maybe in a way where the stats don't. Uh, kite interpret it that way because of things that he's doing that aren't on the stat sheet. But as we know, the official pick of diagnosing the lines is Steph to average 25 and the Warriors to win the series. I'm going to stand by that right now. The points <laughs> look good. I'll leave it there. But anyway, now we're going to go to a word from our sponsor. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, and so we're going to go to one topic now not related to the finals. LeBron James shed some light on his business plans in the latest episode of his talk show, The Shop, which released a teaser clip on Thursday ahead of the full release on Friday. And he said, and I quote, I want to own a team. I want to buy a team for sure. I want a team in Vegas. (laughs) The NBA has recently denied that it has plans for expansion, but there's been a long-standing assumption that they want to move to Vegas and Seattle. And in late February, the Oakview Group closed a deal on a 66-acre parcel of land in Las Vegas and said that it plans to build and run an arena there that could one day draw an NBA team with a target to open the arena by 2026. To finish this off, LeBron was recently listed by Forbes as a billionaire. So let me throw it out there to you guys. Do you think... 
LeBron is going to be an NBA team owner soon. And what are your thoughts on going to Vegas and this whole scenario? Yes, he will definitely be an NBA owner soon. I don't know if the league will have to say something about it if his son's in the league, though, because that'll pose a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think the NBA will have to think about. From a standpoint in Vegas, I think it's a good plan. The problem with Vegas is that it's a transplant city, so it'll hard to find hardcore fans. They're gonna have to look at the Las Vegas Raiders as a sample and a role, and just essentially just see if they could imitate or even do better than the Raiders. But if you want my honest opinion about expansion teams, I don't like it at all. I think it definitely makes the product not as saturated with talent. You're gonna spread out the talent. The NBA was way better when we just had 26 teams or 24 teams and we had talent everywhere. And it when you have all these teams, what they're gonna have like 32, 34, no one's gonna wanna stay at the small market cities like OKC. Unless you guys feel that I'm completely wrong. Wasn't uh, OKC was Seattle, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then aren't the Grizzlies an expansion team? Yes. Yeah. The Grizzlies were in Vancouver and moved out of Vancouver. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, I mean, I think it depends. I do think Vegas is, it's a tricky location. And, and I think just drafting guys out of college and putting them in Las Vegas, and we all know the Vegas scene. Well, some of us do. And I won't get into it, but use your imagination. (laughs) And there's a lot of uh, extracurricular activity that would probably impede and distract from the game itself. So while I think revenue wise and the, you know, the hoopla or the hype around it and that area is good, it would be good for business, it could be good for profits and for you know advertisements and stuff like that but i just don't know from a basketball standpoint and lebron james is come on i mean he is straight up he's not the best um gm gm but also yeah he he doesn't uh, uh know what the best talent is i guess given his history and to answer your question sammy do i think he's gonna start up a team soon no not soon not with inflation what it is today definitely not <laughs> he needs to be a multi-billionaire multi multi-billions for that to happen um nice. but in the so, future I could, I could see it happen the broncos yeah. sold for four billion right yes they sold for and the head of the group that bought them i believe is the family that owns walmart if mm. i remember correctly although some would say that Patrick Mahomes has owned the Broncos for about five years, and he's actually the owner of the team. That's another story for another day. Uh, I think you guys are right uh, on a couple different aspects. So Vegas is clearly now a sports city. I mean, we have a we have an NHL team there now and an NFL team. And I'll say the NHL team actually has an incredibly good following. That the one thing that does concern me on the NBA team, and John, you kind of mentioned this, is Vegas is obviously a very attractive city, especially if you're young and relatively wealthy the thing with the nfl and the nhl front is most of the players who come in are at least 21 22 23 still young but you're gonna have players potentially playing out there that are 18 19 years old 
and you just wonder if that's going to be a little overwhelming of a scenario to put them in. Yeah. Um, obviously, if LeBron's the owner of the team, if anyone can identify with being 18 and having the weight of the world on their shoulders, it is him. So he could potentially be a good influence there. The, um, let me just yeah. add this too. The Here, NBA yeah. had a lot of trouble when they did have the All-Star break one year there. I, right. Right. And Vegas, from what I've read and what the city said and what the governor said, did not like the NBA there. Okay. <laughs> just yeah. make sure you just make sure uh, Lou. You, if you're uh, a team in Vegas, you don't sign Lou Williams as a free agent, <laughs> <laughs> or James Harden for that matter. Actually, oh, James Harden would demand a trade as soon as that team, uh, as soon as that team opens its doors. So, it's an interesting concept. But props to LeBron for becoming a billionaire, man. I mean, that is obviously rarefied air. And I do think, from a publicity standpoint, it'll look really good for the NBA if. What we would argue are is it's 1A and 1B greatest players of all time. Both ended up owning teams. It's it's a very good look for the league that these guys came up through the ranks and actually are forever a part of the legacy of the league going forward. So black like owned baby. Hmm? Black owned. Exactly. Those are that's those are big steps for the league. So much respect on that front. For sure. And that's actually all we have time for today. I want to thank you guys for joining. JJ, thanks for being on tonight, man. Thank you, everybody. Had a blast. John, thanks for being on. Yo, thank you, guys. Hey, bro. Happy anniversary, my man. Happy 18-month anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> we still counting those? <laughs> Guess so. Uh, you heard nothing from me, my man. Props to our video producer, RJ. Thank you all for listening. Check out our YouTube channel. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Like us on our Facebook group page, The Clinic All-NBA Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Clinic All-NBA. Don't forget for our listeners out in California, first of all, thank you for listening. And if you're interested in putting DraftKings and other online operators and making them available in the state of California, vote for the Californians for solutions to homelessness and mental health support measure. I'm Sammy Neighbor. This is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. Come find us wherever you get your podcasts.